invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 13. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we're uh, moving through the book of Joshua. And uh, last week we spent uh, the the morning talking through seven chapters of where Israel divides up the land. And uh, each tribe, what land they got, the boundary lines and landmarks and cities. And today we're going to come back to those same seven chapters, only we're going to look at several of the... There's a storyline that goes through this that we didn't touch on last week, and uh, it's kind of woven throughout the whole thing, but we'll start here in uh, Joshua chapter 13, uh, verse 1, where it says this, now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years. I mean, that's got to sting. You know, you know you're old when God's telling you, you're old. <laughs> And there remains, Joshua, yet very much land to possess. And then verse 2, God says, this is all that still has to be taken in the land. And it's all these different territories here. And uh, we'll show a map here. But this is the countries or the, the territories that they have not yet conquered. And it goes on through all the way up to the first half of verse 6. And then God says, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. I'm going to drive them out. And he goes on to say, but for you right now, I want you to divide up the land that has been conquered, divide it up between the lands. But he gives this promise, like, look, there's all this territory that has to be conquered, but I'm going to drive them out. You're not done, but you're done. I'm going to do this. And at face value, the natural conclusion one could make, given who God is, is that Israel is going to get the entire land that was promised to him. It's a lock, 100% chance. And uh, if you go back and you look, it's interesting, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but this is the, the passage, I think you'll see it up on the screen there, if, I don't know if we got that going. Um, Deuteronomy 7 talks about this promise that God makes, right before they're going into the land, about three or four months in, God comes back to Moses and he says, hey, look, I, I promise you right now, I am going to clear out the land, I'm going to drive these people out and give you this land makes this incredible promise. But then he goes on to say, look, you're part of this deal, this covenant we've got together is several things. And he says, when you come into the land, I'm expecting you to act on this faith in me. I'm expecting you to defeat them, devote these people to complete destruction, make no covenant with them, don't marry them, destroy all the articles and the places of worship. Why? And God warns them in Deuteronomy 7, he says, if you don't do this, they're going to turn your hearts from me. you will actually begin to follow other gods and you will break this covenant. And he says, I'm saying this to you because you're my treasured possession. I love you. He says this very specifically, lays his whole heart out there, says, you've got my heart. This is my promise. This is our covenant. And as the chapters proceed, Joshua starts divvying up the land. And in chapter 13, The tribes that we focus in on are the two and a half tribes on the right of this map when you see it up there. So there's 
these two tribes, and the Manasseh split, split here between the east side, which is where it is right there, and then the west side, which is here. And uh, so we're going to focus, chapter 13 is right here, and you see the dividing up of the land. A summary of all those two and a half tribes of the land they get is verses 8 through 13 of this, the entire thing, and then it, it actually goes on to say, okay, now this specifically is what Manasseh gets and Reubenites and Gadites. But tucked in verse 13 of chapter 13 is this little verse. It says, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Macathites, but Geshur and Macath dwelt in the midst of Israel to this day. Well, that's not good. I mean, they, there's no implications, there's no reasons why, other than the fact that they're in the land. And the problem here is, Israel knows Deuteronomy 7. They know what God has said, but their hearts weren't in it. Chapter 15 goes on, and, and it talks about now the next tribe that gets land, which is Judah. And Judah, it's great. There's, there's no comment like that. They cleared the land, apparently. Chapter 16 goes on. You get to the tribe of Joseph. Now, Joseph, because he was the favored son to his father, Jacob, who was called Israel, um, he gets two territories. His family gets two territories, which seems actually like two and a half or actually three because you get Manasseh on the east side, you get Manasseh on the west side, and then you get Ephraim. So this is chapter 16 is what we're going to look at right here. And it starts off 16 with Ephraim, and they get all this land. And then verse 10, it says of uh, 16, However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. And then chapter 17, verse 12, now you have the other half of the tribe of Joseph which is Manasseh, and in verse 12 it says, Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites out of the land, right? No. They put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out. Did not utterly drive them out. What's interesting about this is they weren't strong at the beginning, then they got strong, and they didn't. And you can see their hearts weren't in it. And they rationalize their behavior. Well, God would want us to, like, keep them around and make our lives better, right? Slave labor is better for the kingdom, right? Better for the nation. And they rationalize it. They had, their hearts weren't in it. They had mercy. They let them stay. When God clearly said, don't. And in 14 of chapter 17, verse 14, it says this, and you get more of an explanation of what's going on. Then people of Joseph, which is Ephraim and Manasseh, came to Joshua saying, why have you given me, now they're speaking as one, but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I'm a numerous people since all along, the Lord has blessed me. And they got all this land, like here, here, and here. Why did you only treat us as one? We hardly got any land. We're just so bad off because we got so little land. And Joshua says to him, if you're a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest. 
Clear the land or clear a ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the people of Joseph came back again. That wasn't enough. The hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Bethshean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you're a numerous people. You're one of the biggest tribes. You've got great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it's forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they're strong. Joshua comes right back at him. He says, suck it up and go take the land. They're whining because it's forested and there's people with chariots. And Joshua's like, you've been given this land. Go take it. And you see why they don't want to take the planes. It's because of the chariots. And that's a scary thing to take on when you're infantry only. You have no cavalry because they weren't allowed to have horses and chariots. And that's a whole other story. And so they're fighting against what we would say is greater war machines than what they have. And they're terrified and they're scared. And their hearts just weren't in it. They were intimidated. God had laid out the path before them, and they wanted an easier path, a different path. And if you read on into chapter 18 and 19, we get the seven remaining tribes, and you see Benjamin and Simeon and Zebulun and Issachar and Asher and Naphtali all clear the land. Nothing said about anybody staying, and they would because so far we have. And you get to Dan, the very last tribe. And that's up on the screen right here. And it says this in verse 47 of chapter 19. When the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them. What? The people of Dan went up and fought against Leshem. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled, it in, settled in it, calling it Leshem. Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor. So this tribe goes over here, and, and they, this is the land that's allotted to them. They try to take it, and, and they lose the land. Now, they're trying to fight against the Philistines here, which that becomes one of Israel's nemesis as you go through the whole book of Joshua, or actually not Joshua, but Judges, and then you go into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And, and they only, not only didn't take the land, they only, not only didn't like, let people stay, they lost the land, and they end up moving up here. Way up, when it says they went up, they took some land up here on this part. Not only did they have like their hearts weren't in it, they lost heart. And, and not only them, but Judah, Simeon, Ephraim, Manasseh, all the tribes around them, Benjamin, didn't help them out. So at the end of this whole section on territory, seven territories were taken the way God had called them to. Five were not. Five left people in the land and one actually lost. So nearly half the nation was not following Deuteronomy 7. Half-hearted at best 
or completely lost heart for what God had as a vision for them and an expectation. Stephen King, which you would think, why would you ever quote Stephen King on anything? Which I'm with you on this. But I was looking up half-heartedness and complacency, and his name came up as as someone who had thought through what this is. And I love what he says about complacency. He says, it is the inner assurance that there is no need to change self-destructive behavior, let alone search for its roots. You can see why he writes good horror novels. Right? He's looked at the roots of things. Francis Chan, I think, nails this, articulates this even better than I could about what is the core problem behind being half-hearted, complacent. He says, the core problem isn't the fact that we're lukewarm, half-hearted, or stagnant Christians. The crux of it all is why we are this way, and it is because we have an inaccurate view of God. We see him as a benevolent being who's satisfied when people manage to fit them into his fit him into their lives in some small way. We forget that God never had an identity crisis. He knows he's great and he deserves to be the center of our lives. Anybody here half-hearted in your faith? Who would say that? Who, anybody struggle with complacency? Any, look at this journey of Israel. Is this anybody's story where the first seven years are bright and we're taking the land and it's awesome and God this and God that and it's amazing and then you stop to catch your breath and God says, it's okay, take, take a breath, get rest because that's what Israel did. And then we never go back. And we never take up the store, the sword to finish the war against sin. We never take up the sword and finish the war against idols. And we don't clear the land, maybe even possibly of people who have influence in our lives and they steal us away. They steal our hearts away from God. Is there unconquered sin in your land? Unconquered idols? In the middle of all this, there's this story of Caleb. Caleb back in chapter 14. To understand Caleb, you you actually have to go all the way back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, which you have to do that right now. I'll summarize it. But what happens is Israel saved from Egypt. They're about, they're poised to get into the promised land. God says, I want you to send out 12 tribes, one for 12 spies, one from each tribe, and they're going to go scout out the land, spy out the land, bring back a report to Israel. So they go out, they're gone 40 days, they come back, and they're like, wow, the land is flowing with milk and honey, it's awesome, and there's some big people, and it's scary. And the initial report, the, it says the people started to get scared, like, oh, no, we're not, oh. and Joseph says, no, no, wait, 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 
We can do this. With God, we can do it. We're going up to take the land. We can do it. And, and the scripture says when Caleb got done speaking, the people's hearts settled. We're good. We're good. And then the other ten spies felt like they had to talk. And in the Hebrew, I don't know if this is an actual literal translation, but I think Hebrew translation would be they freaked out is what has happened. So they tell them, oh, no, all these people are scary. We're going to get destroyed and killed. Say goodbye to your loved ones because it's over. We're dead. And they freaked out and they didn't go. In fact, they got so scared that they, they, they did a mutiny kind of thing. They started finding somebody they could elect to be the new leader of Israel to take them back to Egypt so they could be slaves. And they said, let's get some stone. When are we going to stone Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua for bringing us up here to die? And God got hopping mad. And that's when he said, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses said, no, no, don't. Don't wipe them out. <laughs> don't wipe them out. No, I'm going to wipe them out. No. He said, well, okay, I'm going to destroy every person over 20 years old. And for every day that the spies were in the land, they'll have a year of wandering until every one of them is dead, 20 years and older, for their fear of people more than their fear of me. And... Uh, so that's the story. He catches him up, but he says to Caleb back then, he says, Caleb and Joshua, you get the land that you walked. You get to walk in that land. You're going to take that land, and you're going you're to have the land devoted to you that you walked, that you claim. Fast forward 45 years, and here is Caleb, Joshua, two guys. Caleb's 85. Most estimate that Joshua was a bit older. They've done life together for 45 years at least, if not longer than that. We don't know whether they knew each other before they went out as spies because it was a large nation, but they definitely knew each other after that. And I love how this, it plays out like a friend, talking to a friend. And Caleb comes to Joshua in verse 6 of chapter 14. He says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. You remember that time? I mean, that's how he's saying it. You remember that time, Joshua, back when God talked to Moses? I was 40. We were young. Moses' servant sent us to Cadus Barnea. We spied out the land. We brought back word. It was in our hearts, right? And he's saying my heart, but it's Joshua too. Do you remember that? Remember the other spies who made the heart of the people melt? And he says this, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Remember when Moses swore on that day, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Which is, you can't miss these two words, wholly followed, because if you go back and you read Numbers chapter 13 and 14, God says, because your heart was fully for me. Fully for me. Twice it says it there. And so he says... Joshua, I'm 85 years old. I'm old. But I'm as strong today as I was back then. My strength for the fight is still here. Give me the land. Give me the hill country. 
You heard on that day of how the Anakim, right? Those are the big giants that everybody was freaking out about. He says, give me the territory where the Anakim is. I'm going for them. And I love this. He says, and it may be that the Lord will be with me. And I'll drive them out just as the Lord said. 85 years old. Give me my land. I'm going for it. Holy follow the Lord. Fully follow the Lord. He claims this land where Hebron is, or Hebron, however you want to say it. And uh, it's where actually the patriarchs are buried. Abraham and Sarah's tomb is there. I want that land. One of the most sacred spots in the land of Israel. And you flip over to chapter 15, I think it is. You see Caleb goes and this 85-year-old man leads his tribe to take this land where the giants were. And they conquer it. And then he's, he's there and he says, hey, we got some more land over here. Any guy that wants to marry my daughter can go take it and have her. And the guy's like, I'm in. He goes and takes the land. 85-year-old man steps out in faith, wholehearted. You ever been around someone who has walked with God for 85 years? Fully wholehearted and you see the way they handle life and they're just they're not scared they're not rattled they don't get tossed about and they just go we're gonna take the land how do you know that we're gonna take the land you ever gone to someone in the middle of that someone who is Walked with God that long and wonder, how do you have such a heart like that? It only comes walking with God for years and watching him move. And it comes saying, I will clear the land. At every point God says to take the land, I will take the land. And when God says to wipe something out, I'm going to wipe it out. And when God says destroy something, I'm going to destroy something. Shelly Steyer is one of my wife's uh, close friends. They were, knew each other since around five years old and known each, known each other great, great friends and stayed in contact even over the years. Kind of friend you can just pick up the phone and pick up right where you left off. Kind of friend. And uh, Shelly and her husband are, are missionaries and they have several daughters and um, daughters, I think, in their teen years. And back last fall, she started to experience... Uh, some headaches, pretty intense headaches, enough to go to the, the, the doctor and uh, they referred her to get an MRI because uh, they were concerned about them. And uh, this is her journal entry. My understanding is, is right before she got the report about the MRI. And she blogged this thing. She says, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when it seems that the battle is especially difficult and my heart is weary and my flesh is weak. This was a season that I was just emerging from and the vestiges of that were still lingering in my heart. I looked around and saw in myself and in my family an apathy towards dealing radically with sin. Lackluster prayer lives, a complacency towards the things of the Lord. 
and a general sense of pride that manifested itself in a critical spirit, irritability with each other, thankless attitude. My heart was so broken by my own sin and how deeply I had been offending my Savior. And she said, I was driven to my knees and, and just started to pray something like this. And she says, Father God, you know how much I love my children. They're some of the dearest souls on earth to me. You have given them to me to love and to protect and to disciple. I want so desperately for my daughters to have an intimate and vital relationship with you. I long for them to choose to walk so close to you that the world and sin holds no enticement for them. I want that no matter the cost, please do whatever it takes to bring them and me into that kind of relationship with you. And she says, at this point, I, I raise my hands to heavens, open them wide. Lord, as much as I desire to protect my children from pain, I give them to you to do whatever you need to draw them near to you. I totally trust you, Jesus. I ask that if all possible, you not take their lives or give them disease. If possible, give that to me instead. My prayer is for your glory and your praise in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Four days later, they got the news about the MRI and it revealed a lesion on her brain. And Shelly and her husband brought the three girls together and Shelly told them, she said, girls, she said, blog this. She says, I know you're afraid, but I want to tell you that I am not afraid. I'm not afraid. Instead, I'm thanking God because this is an answer to my prayers. I've been praying that God would do whatever it takes to draw each one of us in this family closer to him. I praise God for this lesson because I know he will use it to accomplish his purposes in our lives that we would walk and please God and excel more in that. Shelly and her family left the mission field for stateside and She's facing surgery, I think, here in March. And they're praying it's not cancer. That's wholehearted living. That's wholehearted living that says, I'll, I'll take the land. I'm going to take it. I'm not satisfied with a land that's filled with stuff. I want the land cleared, my soul cleared, so there is nothing that could take my heart from him. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Is the land of your soul clear? Are you half in this? Or are you wholeheartedly in to Christ and Him? Is there any sin that remains, any idols that remains, any relationships that are turning your hearts from Christ? And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm not talking about you can't have relationships with people that don't follow Christ. That's, 
that's just not true. But you know the kind of relationships where you just, for whatever reason, have no power to say no. Those relationships. And those are different than other ones where you have a power. I've asked Brian to come and just play a song uh, for us. Here as we just uh, kind of close this time. And uh, I would just spend some time, you and Christ, and, and it's a dangerous question possibly to ask, Lord, what would you say? Am I wholehearted or half-hearted? Don't check out. Just listen to Christ and what he would say.